You're listening to the Tan Talk Radio Network. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk. At the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727 501 9090. That's 727 501 9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727 501 9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer wine, and great desserts. They even make their bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Lager Road near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. They're really cracking down on safety belts these days. Uh, what's up, officer? I'm giving you a ticket for committing an anal of Safety belt violation. Compliments of Barney Fife. We never wear safety belts. We're dummies. Weisenheimer. He gave us a ticket. Man's got to do what he's got to do. After this joy ride, I'm out of the crash dummy business for good. But Vince, it's a great job. Heck, they'd have to pry me away from it. Anybody home? Larry, they do pry you away from it. Oh, yeah. For years, I've been eating steering wheels. For what? To prove how safety belts save lives. But thousands die every year in car accidents because they don't buckle up. Vince, we're dummies. We don't wear safety belts. Larry, you really know how to hurt a guy. Get it! Yeah! One, two, one, two. Larry, you know, this simple exercise can help you stay healthy, which keeps medical costs down. But you gotta do it every day, Vince. (laughs) Or you'll get out of shape fast. You could learn a lot from a dummy. Buckle your safety belt. It's time for You Lost Your Life with your host, Christ Dummies, Vince and Larry. Welcome to the show that proves if you don't buckle your safety belt, the loser is you. That's right, Vince, and by not buckling up, you could end up in places you never dreamed. Like traction! Or in the emergency room! Plus, Larry, if you're not buckled up, you could maybe take a ride in a beauty like this. Stay tuned! You could learn a lot from a devil. Buckle your safety belt. Get up. Safety belt test at nine. Hurry. Not another windshield taste test. Count me out. What? The old pro backing down from a motorhome? Nothing like that. I'm just tired of trying to convince people to wear safety belts. No one's listening. Safety belts save Barbara Mandrell. You're right. Someone listen. Let's hit the road. You hungry, partner? Uh, Let's do some donuts on the way in. Good idea. You could learn a lot from a dummy. Buckle your safety belt. Tonight on Nostalgic Cars and Radios, it's... No, it's Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Oh, yeah, that's right. Hey, this is comedian, author, and most importantly, vintage race car driver Adam Carolla telling you I love Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
Okay, listeners, welcome. You are tuned into Nostalgia Speedy and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google Tantalk, 1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in sunny, beautiful weather, Clearwater, Florida. How about that? Don't forget to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. If you've missed any of our past shows, go to the podcast section there, Nostalgia Speedy and Cars, and you can hear all 298, 99 shows, right, Bobby? How you doing this evening? That's right, and the weather is great here in Clearwater. Yeah, almost makes you want to stay, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. hey, real quick, give us the social media stuff there, bub. Facebook, Twitter, Periscope, YouTube, LinkedIn, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Twitter and Periscope are at NRC on air. That's it. Hey, you know what? And just to be on the safe side, let's go with the Speed Culture Minute. And uh, we got some cool stuff going on here. Actually, this past weekend, we'll talk about that in a minute, we had a spectacular weekend up at Festivals of Speed. Bobby was up there, I was up there, and our founding member of Speed Culture was there, Ice Ice Jeffy, and I'm sure he's listening right now. But anyway, so here's what's going on this weekend. This weekend, the Monday, the Monday, the morning of the 16th, okay, at uh, 6.30, you're going to have people gathering at the DuPont Registry for the Cars and Coffee at the DuPont Registry Cars and Coffee headquarters over there off Almerton Road. And uh, what's that called, Bobby? That little road that's got that little side road? Do you remember offhand? Tech Drive. Tech Drive. That's it. That's right. Right down there by uh, DuPont Registry and the, and the Bic Pen and Pencil Place. Anyway, you can see it actually. See it from Almerton. Then, immediately thereafter... Well, I shouldn't say immediately thereafter, but pretty close to immediately thereafter is the Dimmit After Cars and Coffee Party at Dimmit uh, Cadillac and well, they have that McLarens and Rolls Royces and Bentleys and all kinds of cool stuff. And that's over there off Gandy Boulevard. And that will probably last until ooh, maybe 8, 39 o'clock. Then, then the Meineke Car Care Center over off 66th Street. Just south Located of, at 10491 yeah. 66th Street, North Pinellas Park, Florida, 33782. That's right, and from 10 to 2, Speed Culture will be presenting, or co-presenting, the big Meineke Car Care grand opening car show. So I want to see everybody there, everybody. We have room for 50 cars, but you know what? If 100 cars show up, that's okay, too, because plenty of parking. got a big field next door, okay? That's what's going on this weekend. Then, don't forget, our big show, Best of the Bay Car Show, May 7th, May 7th. At uh, Quaker Steak and Lube, down off of uh, Bobby, do you have that address real quick too? Quaker I'll Steak and Lube that. off of uh, 49th Street, and just on the other side of uh, 110th, so that's south of 110th. See, I can give you the rough geographic areas. Bobby will give you the address to a T. But if you go to your Speed Culture, the Enthusiast mobile app, you can just go poof, and it pops up. So whether you got an Android, whether you got an Apple, you go to Speed Culture, the mobile enthusiast app, or the Enthusiast mobile app. I'll get it straight one of these days. Or you can just go to speedcultureapp.com, go to the website, and you can download all the upcoming events. But Best of the Bay Car Show will be at Quaker State and Loop on May 7th. And we're expecting over 300 to 350 cars, maybe more than that, for fun, prizes, games, T-shirts, and special awards. Right, Bobby? So on that thought, maybe we just won't give them the address so they download the app. Well, that's a possibility, too. But uh, at any rate, yes, go to the app, and you can find it out. Now, the following week, on uh, the 21st of April, which is the week after this coming weekend, our good friends at HSR, that's Historic Sports Car Racing, is putting on their annual Walter Mitty Show at Road Atlanta. Now, I'd like to be up there for that. But we may have a conflicting schedule. In this past weekend, there was a number of things going on. There was the uh, premier auction in uh, Fort Myers. There was the Barrett-Jackson auction 
in Palm Beach. And then there was Festivals of Speed at the Mission Inn Resort and Club. Did I say it right this time, Bobby? You did. In Howie in the Hills. Now, we were instructed to say, what was it, 45 minutes northeast or 15 minutes, 25 minutes or something, X amount of minutes northwest Northwest. of Orlando. But you know what? It's Howie in the Hills. And Howie in the Hills is over there near Mount Dora, Traveras, and one of the little towns up around there. And it's on Lake Dora, okay, or just around the corner from Lake Dora. Beautiful, beautiful resort. We had a great time. And uh, spectacular event, spectacular day. Couldn't have asked for a better show. It went extremely well. And uh, my hat goes off to Joe Sabatini because he did a great job for putting on Festivals of Speed. Kenny and Jeff and all those guys did a great job judging. It went very, very, very smoothly. In fact, uh, the week before, we had Festivals of Speed at the Vinoy Park. And that was a fun event. But it was very, very overwhelming because we had, what, I'd say five, 600 cars, maybe more than that. We had more 435. cars. 435. 435? Very good, Bobby. You're good at that. I like it. You're on the stats, man. Anyway, and uh, at this particular event, I think we had, what, maybe 275, 300 cars? Is that what we had? Do you know offhand? And, uh, but it worked out really well, nicely displayed, a good selection of cars, a lot of Highline stuff, a lot of Lamborghinis, a lot of... Fur- In fact, there was an unusual amount of Lamborghinis. We had everything from a 1992 Diablo. I think there was... Uh, might have been two of them there, but there was a 92 Diablo, a 96 or 97 Diablo, a number of Murcielagos, a couple of Ventadors, a number of Huracans, a number of... Uh, what's the other ones there? Gallard- Gallardos, if I pronounce it right. We had a couple of 458 Ferraris. We had some McLarens. There was one vintage Ferrari, a 246 Dino, so that would be a Ferrari Dino. In fact, it was an interesting car because that car actually competed in the 1975 Cannonball uh, C2 Shining something or other C. I'll get it straight here one of these days. But if you ever remember the movie back in the 70s, there was actually a number of them made. But the one in particular is Gumball Rally where they had a Cobra and they had a – it was a big duel between a Cobra and a Ferrari 365 GTB Spider. And a pretty cool movie, and the outcome was to be expected, naturally. Cover one, I might add. But at any rate, um, so we got a pretty good show for you lined up this evening. Let me digress here for a second. And uh, how are we doing on time, Bobby? We're doing just fine. We're doing just fine? Okay, so at 7.21. What we're trying to do is we're trying to stay on the clock here. So Bobby's got this stuff written down for me. Now the trick is to see if I can stay on the clock. So we have 7.16. Now the one time that I almost run out of steam and things to talk about, here we are. So we're 7.21, but – so I've got six minutes, five minutes, 17. So i got four minutes. Four minutes. I, can, I think I can keep you guys busy in four minutes. But anyway, let's see. So That's four minutes. So uh, talk. <laughs> talk. <laughs> what do we got going on there? What's that? Is that a song? It's a new, news bed here. So you have to give us breaking four minutes of breaking news. Oh, oh, is that what they do? Okay, see? I like that. You're whipping this stuff out. Don't forget some of the other sound, little sound gimmicks you got going on. And uh, so some of the cool cars that were there, there was uh, a number of cars that uh, kind of stood out. There was a gentleman there that had a really nice 1953 or 54 MGTF, kind of a very, very nicely done car. But I you, I'll tell you what kind of stole the show. This, what stole the show this time was uh, the wooden boats. There was uh, no hacker crafts, but there was a 1929 L- Lion, I think is what it was called, and uh, he won an award. And that looked like a giant limousine boat. It had uh, a front seat, a back seat, then came the motor, and then there was kind of like, if you want to parallel it to a car, kind of like a rumble seat in the back. Pretty nice-looking thing. So it, lo- it almost looked presidential in a way. It was really a nice-looking boat. 
and uh, that gentleman won an award. Then there was a number of Garwoods that were there, okay, really, really nice boats, and there was a couple of Chris Crafts. And there was one boat there in particular, and I can't remember the name of it, but it had belonged to John Wayne at one point in time. In fact, he was the uh, original owner and actually had the commissioned the boat. I think that's a term they use in, boat, in the boat world. They commissioned the boat to be built. You know, kind of like a yacht, kind of like a, but that's the term they use. So these are these, these wooden boats are absolutely outstanding. And what was interesting is some of the people that I met there had actually, many of them for, were from Wisconsin, Illinois, New England, uh, even a guy from Arizona. And these people had kind of heard about the wooden boat show a little bit, kind of participated a little bit, were so enamored with the area and realized that they could use their boats all year round, okay, in the Mount Dora area, and hence, they all moved there, and now they have this Sunnyland. Is that the name of the club, Bobby? Am I saying it right? Sunnyland Boat Club, yeah. Sunnyland Boat Club. And uh, I had no idea, but it is hundreds and hundreds of members strong. And these people, basically, many of them live here full-time, and there's a number of them that live here part-time, but they take their boats to New England, to the Midwest, up in Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, uh, northern Illinois, uh, the one boat that the gentleman had, he actually found in Fox Lake, Illinois, which is almost on the border of Illinois and Wisconsin. And my cousin lives up in Fox Lake. So when he mentioned Fox Lake, I was immediately uh, familiar with that particular area. And it was an old vintage Garwood. It took him 13 years to restore that boat. 13 years to restore a wooden boat. Now, the neat thing about wooden boats is you don't really need a lot of mechanical skills. You can be basically a pretty doggone good carpenter, Right. And uh, you can restore a wooden boat. You know, you just have to know how to bend wood, basically, you know, steam it. Yeah, Brian agrees with you here. Brian, you agree? Our, Brian. our new marine contributor here on Nostalgic Radio and Cast. Ask Brian. Brian, you ever work on a wooden boat? Yes. You have? Okay, so you can appreciate those vintage wooden boats. I mean, the craftsmanship, the workmanship, the detail on those boats is absolutely incredible. You know, I mean, it's just truly, truly, truly neat. Now, the thing was, is this, those guys... Um, when we did an interview with a couple of them, and what's interesting about those guys is they got the same problem we do in the car world. They're trying to find people that uh, we use the term affectionately, caretakers, to continue on the legacy, to continue on the hobby. You know, a lot of us older guys are getting out of the world, or getting out of the world, uh, getting a little bit too old to do some of this stuff. So consequently, what happens is we need to find a younger crowd to kind of follow in our footsteps. Bobby, are we ready to go to a commercial break here just about in a minute? We are going. Are you going to go do a... Uh, we're going to play a song here. You're going to play a song. Okay, well, since we're on the... Uh, oh, yeah, we played this little thing on the beginning of the show with the test uh, the, the crash test dummies. There was a reason for that about the seatbelts because less than a month ago, yours truly was uh, conveniently busted for not wearing a seatbelt on the way to Gainesville. So... And uh, to commemorate that, welcome to the jungle, if I don't pay the ticket. And uh, that's what the uh, the whole seatbelt crash test dummy thing was all about. So anyway, hey, you're tuning into Nostalgia Getting Cards. Don't touch a dial. We'll be right back.
Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Frustrated looking for car shows? Want the latest in automotive news? How about videos and podcasts? Well, check out Speed Culture, the comprehensive automotive app now available on Google Play and the App Store. Speed Culture brings you motorsports event listings based on your current location. Speed Culture also brings you the latest news feeds, videos, podcasts, and more. Speed Culture, the automotive enthusiast mobile app. For more information, check out speedcultureapp.com and download it today. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer wine, and great desserts. They even make the bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Lager Road near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. Hey everybody, this is Matey, like Tom Matey without the tuck. Just remember, you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, right here on the radio. And if you're not, then I don't know what the heck you're listening to. Okay, we're back, Tom Matey. All right, so we were talking about Festival of Speed this past weekend, and a couple of the cool cars were up there, and, of course, the boats. The boats were pretty impressive. Probably the slickest boat was there was the, probably the uh, 1957 Chris Craft, and what was interesting about it is the one of the features that he was talking about on that particular boat was the windshield. The windshield actually looked like a '56, '57 Corvette. So, and I jokingly said, "Is the car have a Corvette motor in it?" You know, because they that's when Chevrolet came out with the 265 and then the 283. So I thought maybe it might have that. And a lot of the marine engines went in that direction for the small motors. For the uh, although there were some Y block Fords used in that back in those days too. And uh, Chris Craft used uh, the bigger motors, the, the FE motors. They started coming out, and then Chris Chrysler used the Hemis. So there was a number of motors that uh, people were using that uh, were basically production engines. And, of course, a lot of guys, you know, went out and found those boats. If they were freshwater boats, you know, they're usually the motors were okay. If the boats were used in the saltwater, mm, they didn't fare too well. They were usually pretty well pitted. But, you know, for a race motor, they worked okay. Anyway, so uh, a bit of trivia there. So the boat's pretty cool. Um, there was another guy there that we met. His name was Bill. Bill had uh, not only had a vintage boat there, but he also had a 2001 Lotus and uh, um, Jeff called that to my attention because I didn't really pay much attention to them because we typically think of the Lotus Esprit in the James Bond movies, right? And they were four-cylinder turbos. They were relatively anemic. But what I didn't know is they continued building Lotus Esprits uh, through 2005, 2006, somewhere around in there. And the later ones had V8 motors in them. 
And the reason they ceased production, allegedly, is because Renault, who supposedly supplied them with the transmissions, quit building that particular transmission, so they basically weren't able to source a transmission for the Lotus Esprit. And I'm thinking, well, you know, there's a company called ZF, and there's another company called Getrag, and they're German, and they make some of the best transmissions because they're continuously being used in Mercedes-Benz and BMW. And I think there's, uh, and then Ford of Europe is using those those transmissions as well. Let's see, what else? There was a couple of mid-year Corvettes that were there. Uh, our good friend Jeff Conner brought his race car 993. There was uh, a number of really cool cars that were there that kind of stood out besides the exotics and stuff, the vintage stuff. We had some Mustangs. We had a, a 55 Thunderbird that showed up there. Let's see, what else was there? The 62 Corvette, a 71 Corvette, a 63 split window was there. Boats again, back to boats. There was a number of really cool boats that were there. There was this thing called the New Jersey Skiff, which actually looks like a lifeboat. And uh, they put a, you know, back in the old days, they ran flatheads in them. And what they used to do is actually launch them off the shore, the shoreline there in Jersey, and ocean, whatever they call it there. And uh, so nowadays, they reproduce that boat, and they actually have a racing class for it. So it's it's big. And, of course, they put small block motors in them, Fords or Chevys or whatever they can grab. And then uh, they go out there, and they run around. They do exhibition races with those things. So if you get a chance, check out Mount Dora, uh, the Vintage Boat Club up there. It's pretty cool, pretty impressive. Don't forget, go to festivalsofspeed.com. Check out all the stuff that's going on. And uh, we got some pretty cool events that we do each year. For example, let's see, we did, okay, so this was Mission Inn. And the week before last, we did the, the uh, Vinoy in St. Pete. And a month before that, we were in uh, Millie Island. And in December, we typically do the Ritz-Carlton. So there is a possibility we may be going to back to Miami. We just need to find a location down there. You know, it's all location predicated. You know, and by that I mean you got to have a venue where people can get in, get out, where they can get to, where there's, you know, lodging facilities, obviously, and then where you can have three, four, five hundred cars and anywhere between, geez, ten to 20,000 people. I mean, we get St. Pete gets a huge, probably gets the largest number of people there. And uh, I don't know. I think our record's way over 15,000. But uh, I know that the Ritz-Carlton gets eight to ten and I think we probably had, uh, you know, five, four or 5,000 people this past weekend. But the weather, the weather, I couldn't get over it. The weather couldn't have been better. So, uh, anyway, hey, you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio Cars. Don't touch the dial. We'll be right back. We have a very special guest coming on this evening. Got something a little bit more informative for you guys this time. So, hey, you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio Cars. And we've got a little, uh, is this Motley Crew, Bobby? Kickstart my heart. That's what it sounds like.
I'm Marvin Hatchett. I am the Dummy Calibration Lab Manager. My job is to ensure that all crash test dummies are calibrated and ready for testing. The general idea behind a calibration is to ensure that a dummy used at the Institute will react the same way as a dummy used in other test labs. It also gives us repeatability from test to test. The calibration tests consist of head drops, thorax impacts, knee impacts, and also rear impacts. Here at the Institute, we have three types of dummies, frontal impact dummies, side impact dummies, and also rear impact dummies. We also have different sizes, ranging from a six-month-old infant to a 95th percentile male. We have from 20 to 40 different sensors in the dummy. Uh, we have accelerometers, which measure the acceleration. We have load cells, which measure the forces. And we also have potentiometers in the ribs that measure the movement of the rib. Once fully instrumented, our crash test dummies are starting to approach $200,000 in value. It's fascinating that we can take the technology that we have and place it in a vehicle and send the vehicle into a barrier and afterwards take that data given to us by a freshly calibrated dummy and use that data as one of the tools to determine what would happen to a human if he were sitting in the dummy's place. This is Adam Ferrar from Top Gear, and you are listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Turn it up. Okay, we're back, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. And uh, we've been dropping hints all night long here, you know, since I was, uh, you know, I got busted for not having a seatbelt on here a while back. So we're doing this crash test dummy thingy. But also, we try to bring, you know, people on our show every once in a while that tend to kind of have a different perspective because we all drive cars, we all drive, you know, vehicles, and we want to know other aspects of what's going on. So this evening, what I did is I decided to bring somebody on from the Insurance Institute for Highway and Safety. And I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Russ Ray. Russ is the Senior Vice President for Communications for the Insurance Institute of Highway Safety, and I'm delighted to welcome Russ to the show. Russ, how are you doing? Hey, um, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Super, and I'm glad you could make it. Now, tell us a little bit about the whole idea behind the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. Obviously, you know, we may, we joke about it, and I did the, I did a play on it with the test crash test dummies, but th the car testing thing and what you guys do is serious business, and you keep us safe and you keep us alive. So let's uh, let's expound on that. Yeah, well, the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety was, uh, was founded by uh, automobile insurance companies in the U.S. with the mission of finding ways to uh, reduce the crashes, the uh, losses that stem from crashes, both um, deaths and injuries as well as property damage. And we were uh, founded as a uh, research institute and... Uh, that's what we do. We look at all aspects of driving safety from uh, driver behavior to roadway design. And uh, probably what we're most known for is the vehicle safety tests that we do, including the crash tests. How much influence do you guys have with the manufacturers in terms of building safer, better cars for we, the consumer? Well, we have a tremendous amount of influence because uh, the automakers, no automaker wants to be featured 
uh, on a news or radio program or online as having a vehicle that performs poorly in a safety test. So the manufacturers have bought into safety as being a major selling point, and they see lost sales if they don't perform well in the tests that are done uh, by the Institute and also by the federal government, which has its own uh, set of safety tests. And so, you know, the automakers, it used to be religion among the automakers that safety did not sell, that people didn't want to hear about safety. Um, but that has really changed over time, and the Institute's work, I think, has had a great deal of uh, influence over changing that because we've armed consumers with comparative information about which vehicles do a better job of uh, protecting you in a crash and now in helping you avoid crashes to begin with. And the automakers pay attention to that because it helps them sell vehicles when they do well. I'm going to go back to uh, sometime in 1972 when I was taking my, uh, when I was going to defensive driving. We had a company here in Florida called, in Clearwater, Florida called Safer Dixie. Okay, Dixie, because we're both, you know, we're in the South. And uh, I remember sitting in that class, you know, over a two or three week period of time. And the thing that kind of got to us was the eerie, eerie uh, crashes that they showed us, you know, because they put a lot of emphasis on safety back then. And back then, all we had was lap belts. In 1972, they really, I mean, very few cars actually had shoulder harnesses that you would reach over and latch into your lap belts. Okay, so. Um, and when I, when I look back in retrospect, because, of course, I, my background is a wrecking guard business. I come from the salvage yard business. So I used to see a lot of wrecks, deal with wrecks, buy and sell wrecks, and so on. So, you know, and, 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 and inherently what happens is when you're in that business, you know, you kind of look at the cars and you go, you, you kind of wonder, you know, particularly when you get a car that hauls into your, you know, that's on the back of a wrecker and you got all of this, you know, gauze and trachea tubes and, and, and all kinds of little paramedic devices laying there where they try to save somebody's life and stuff. You don't really realize how, how much of an impact this is. And uh, so I, I'm thankful that you guys are out there, and I think it's great. And by today's standards, um, what, uh, what are the movies like today compared to, let's say, like back when I, w- when I got my license in, uh, in, late, in the early 70s? Well, it never fails when you... Uh uh, do a live radio show of sirens go by. I think there's a motorcade going by now and uh, here in Washington, so apologize for that. Well, that's okay. Uh, but maybe it's a good background for uh, yeah, perfect. sirens or a good background perfect. for what we're talking about. Yes. Right? Um, we, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, we did um, a few years ago that illustrates the changes over time is in 2009 for our 50th anniversary, um, I hesitate to tell this story because I know I'm talking to some classic car fans, but we bought a 1959 Chevrolet Bel Air. Um, it was not museum quality. It was a, 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 a daily driver, and, uh, and we didn't want to wreck something that was, uh, that was really a high-quality uh, classic car. But we wanted to demonstrate how uh, car safety has uh, changed over time. So we, we, we crashed the Bel Air into a 2009 uh, Chevrolet Malibu uh, to represent uh, the differences in vehicles over 50 years. And it was a dramatic test because the uh, Bel Air did absolutely horribly uh, in the crash. Um, the Malibu basically crashed through 
the uh, front structure of the Bel Air. And, of course, the Bel Air had no uh, seat belts or anything like that. And the crash test dummy's head in the Bel Air was impaled by the steering wheel, had no collapsible steering wheel. And in the aftermath of that test, we could take readings from the crash test dummies and look at the structure of the vehicles, and we uh, could show that a driver, a real driver of the Bel Air would have been uh, seriously and probably fatally injured in that crash. But the driver, a real driver of the Malibu, uh, could have walked away uh, with only minor injuries. So that shows how far auto safety has come. People think about the old cars as being, you know, big brutes uh, that uh, could really um, uh, survive just about anything, but they weren't built to crash, and today's cars are built to crash and to protect you when they do. That's interesting that you mentioned that because that particular video is on YouTube, and I have watched that particular video with the yep. 59 Chevrolet. In fact, following that one is another one with a smart car, and it gets hit by a late model Mercedes-Benz, and it bounces off it like a basketball. It's amazing. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Now, yeah, so. How, how competitive is the Institute the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. Who is your competitors? I mean, J.D. Powers or who else? Well, I, I don't know that we have any, um, any competitors, really. I mean, we work uh, cooperatively with Consumer Reports, is a good example. Um, they use our crash tests in their uh, safety ratings. Um, we uh, share information back and forth with the government because we do we both do safety research. They do a different set of crash tests than we do, um, so they're really uh, uh, complementary in that if you're looking for the safest vehicle, using our crash test uh, results along with uh, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration's uh, five-star ratings, gives you a good idea of which vehicles are doing the best overall. If they get four or five stars in the government tests, and they're good in the IIHS tests. So um, we don't really have a competitor in that sense. Okay. What about the manufacturers? Do they, do they perform tests that compare to yours? Do you guys share notes, and do you kind of, like, interact? Well, uh, we do, and it used to be that there was, it, was, uh, it was a fairly adversarial relationship in that the automakers... Um, um, did not uh, like the test results that we were uh, putting out when we first started doing crash testing back in the 1990s. Um, But it's really changed over time. As I mentioned earlier that safety is now a big selling point, Um, the automakers are really partners in a lot of what we do. Uh, We have uh, host the automakers at our vehicle research center um, practically every week. They're there for all the crash tests, and they've bought into the uh, the procedures that we use because they know that they are based on science and research. They're not. We don't just come up with crash tests willy nilly. So the automakers are designing our crash tests into their engineering process, um, and that's a good thing for consumers because it means that changes are happening quickly because of the safety testing we're doing. Now the the uh, and I'm going to digress here just for a second. I'm going to, I'm going to throw this out at you. Um, today just so happened to hear on the news that the Ford F-150 uh, was the top rated in terms of trucks, and then uh, the Ram, the Dodge pickup, basically was like the bottom of the scale. So, 
uh, how cl- how the margins, in other words, when your rating is good, acceptable, marginal, and poor, can you give us a breakdown on that? Well, essentially, uh, if a vehicle is rated good in our test, it means that um, in a in a serious crash that we're replicating with our uh, five crash tests, uh, a person could walk away uh, without any uh, serious life-threatening injuries. Um, a vehicle that gets a poor rating in the test means that there's a, a, a good likelihood of uh, very serious, uh, perhaps life-threatening injuries. Um, an example of what we saw with the pickup crash test, the Ram 1500 earned a marginal rating. So we rate good, acceptable, marginal, and poor. And part of the reason for the marginal rating for the Ram was that its, uh, its structure did not hold up very well. The occupant compartment, um, there was a lot of crushing with the occupant compartment, particularly down in the lower part of the uh, area where a real person's legs would be. And so we saw uh, high forces on the crash test dummies' um, legs and, and feet, uh, which would mean that a person in, in that kind of crash uh, would be uh, seriously injured and would, would need assistance getting out of the wreckage and would probably require a lot of rehabilitation uh, over time. Um, even though that person may not have been killed, they would have sustained pretty serious leg and feet and foot injuries. So that's the kind of thing we measure. We're looking at how the dummies hold up in the test, but also how the vehicle holds up in the test. Because if the structure collapses around the occupant compartment, then then the seatbelts and airbags can't do their jobs. Okay. Now, unibody construction kind of came out. Realistically, they were experimenting with it in the late 40s, 50s. It became real prevalent in the early, mid-70s. Mustang was obviously an example, and Falcons were unibody cars. But the later cars, particularly Mercedes, would you say that one Mercedes, and I'm going to use Mercedes as an example, because their, their biggest focus was on crumple zones. Is, is that a fair statement? The Mercedes is kind of like one of the pioneers when it comes to that? Yeah, they were a pioneer with crumple zones, and um, that is a, a key part of crash protection in that you want the vehicle to uh, manage the energy of the crash out there in the front end away from you, and that's what the crumple zones are intended to do, that the vehicle crushes in a predictable pattern and keeps the energy away from the occupant compartment. Okay, now the the one of the probably the, the the one crash that you see a lot, and I watch them on YouTube too, is the angle shot. In other words, because it's kind of like the head-on one. You know, it's generally guy just overlap. So it'd be the left front against the left front, and no other part of the car. So what we call the you know the, just the quarter angle. So your 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 barrier that these cars crash is that probably the most um, revealing crash test that you could do for for occupants that let's say pr- probably a side impact well that is the uh crash scenario that we are replicating with the uh small overlap test that we were just talking about with pickups and the small overlap test represents that uh corner impact um where just 25 percent of the front left corner of the vehicle is involved in the impact and that's where we're seeing some of the big differences in performance among vehicles uh, because vehicles are doing a very good job, by and large, in the other 
older crash tests that we do, uh, the moderate overlap front, the side impact test, the roof strength rollover test, as well as um, the rear impact uh, simulating a a lower speed impact to measure uh, whiplash protection. So vehicles are doing pretty well in those tests. This small overlap test is newer. that We introduced it in 2012, and we intended it to raise the bar to uh, push the uh, envelope further in vehicle safety. In real life, in real life, what is the predominant impact? You know, what angles? Well, frontal crashes are the most common kind of fatal crash. And um, the issue with frontal crashes is that they, um, you know, they don't always involve the whole front end of the vehicle. Um, they involve a part of the front end. And that's what we were uh, attempting to get at and replicate with the small overlap crash is that sometimes the crash just involves um, the front left or right corner of the vehicle and, and not much else. And um, that research shows that that type of frontal impact accounts for about a quarter of the serious injuries and deaths that still occur in frontal crashes. So that's what we do. We, we go back and look at the real-world crash data uh, to see where are there gaps, where are there areas in crash protection where the existing crash tests are not uh, addressing uh, the kinds of um, crashes people are getting into. And that's why we introduced the small overlap test. Now, cars oncoming, okay, coming at each other. How, many, how, many, how much testing do you do with two vehicles going the opposite direction, you know, or side impact? Or, I mean, do you do, uh, do you do a number of multi-car, or are they predominantly barrier-type? Well, we've done some demonstration tests car-to-car, uh, but uh, most of the tests are barrier-type tests, uh, which makes it uh, easier to um, replicate crashes in the lab so that they can be uh, duplicated uh, and repeated over and over again um, and get the same result. Um, and our barrier test uh, essentially represents a car-to-car crash with two cars uh, going 40 miles per hour, uh, two cars that weigh the same hitting each other, um, both going 40 miles per hour. So we are replicating a car-to-car crash, but that's not the typical, uh, we don't uh, do car-to-car crashes um, as part of our consumer ratings program. Okay. Now let me throw this out at you because I think they did this on Mythbusters one day. But when we when this is no lie, seriously, back in '72 when we were you know taking our driver's ed classes, the teacher would say if you have two car two cars, opposite directions, going 40 miles an hour, the impact is equivalent to an 80 mile an hour impact. True or false? Um. You know, I don't know the answer to that. Okay. Uh, and, and I think that it's getting into an area of physics where I didn't excel in school. <laughs> hey, you're not the only one, pal. <laughs> but suffice it to say that it's a, uh, that uh, those crashes, I mean, one of the things that we do with the car-to-car crashes, and you, you, you mentioned, to it, mentioned it earlier, is that we demonstrate what happens when two vehicles that w- don't weigh the same collide with each other. Mm-hmm. So that was the smart car and the Mercedes crash that we did, where we were demonstrating that when a, uh, a smart car, 
uh, that weighs, I don't know what a smart car weighs. Less than 2,000 pounds. Yeah. And a Mercedes uh, mid-size sedan, uh, which weighs somewhere probably in the close to 4,000, 3,800, yeah. 4 to 4,000 pounds. When those two collide, even though the smart car does very well in the uh, 40 mile per hour crash test that we do into the barrier, uh, into a vehicle of uh, that it weighs more, um, that same vehicle is poor, which illustrates the physics of it, which is that when you're in a smaller, lighter vehicle, you're at a disadvantage in a crash. Hmm. Now, let's talk about some of the cars. Let's talk about some of the brands. Now, obviously, over the years, Volvo has always had a reputation for being a very, very safe car. And then somewhere I was reading that they're not as safe as they're claimed to be. However, Mercedes, now Audi, uh, your German cars do pretty good. How do the Japanese cars and the Korean cars and uh, obviously some of the American cars compete? Well, I think that everybody is doing a pretty good job now. Um, you know, Volvo uh, had a leadership position for a long time, and they're uh, uh, trying to maintain that by adding uh, some new uh, crash avoidance technology on their vehicles to stay ahead of their competitors. But everybody is really doing a pretty good job in the safety arena and improving their vehicles. And, you know, the good news is there aren't any brands these days that are uh, that are lagging behind. Everybody's doing a, a, a good job of, um, of engineering vehicles from the get-go to get good safety ratings. Now, we have some you know, vehicles like the uh, Ram 1500 pickup that didn't do well on our small overlap test. Part of that is because that vehicle was designed before um, uh, we had fully implemented the small overlap test. So I think Fiat Chrysler is going to improve that vehicle when they redesign it. But uh, but by and large, I think manufacturers uh, across the world are achieving good crash test ratings. Okay. Now let me ask you this: Since you, you, you besides testing crashes, do you are you also is the the, ins- the insurance institute also responsible for some of the technologies? Like, in other words, what are your what's your thoughts on do you test? Like uh, these new vehicles now have these these features on board where they and they're getting real sophisticated. Okay, where if I get too close to the car, it automatically breaks. It almost drives itself in a way. I mean, are you guys kind of like concerned a little bit about that? Does that become an issue? And are you going to do some experimentation in 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 that realm as well? Yeah, we are testing that technology, and we have uh, incorporated the automatic braking systems into our ratings program. Um, one of the things we want to do is uh, look at. Uh, uh, the real-world experience of uh, vehicles with that technology um, to see, is it actually reducing crashes in the real world? And if it is, um, are there differences in how the systems perform in, uh, in the testing that we're doing? So that's what we're doing with automatic braking. We have seen that automatic braking systems are cutting insurance claims in our insurance claim data. And now we have confirmation of that. Uh, we just did a study that showed that uh, looking at police reported crashes, automatic braking systems are reducing uh, front and rear crashes by about 40%. Uh, so that's uh, extremely effective um, out in the real world. And so we've incorporated automatic braking as a result into our rating system. So vehicles can't get the top safety pick plus rating unless they have an available automatic braking system. How about with autonomous cars now? Does that, how, how will you do testing there? And, and, and 
how, yeah, give us a little, share a little bit on that if you if you've done any testing on that. I'm curious. Well, when they become available, we'll we'll certainly test them and evaluate them. Okay. Um, now, uh, in terms of a fully autonomous car that can get you from your driveway to the office and back um, uh, without your uh, handling any of the, any of the controls, that's probably a long way off. Okay. Um, but we do have semi-autonomous vehicles on the road right now that can drive themselves in certain limited circumstances. And, you know, we're going to be testing and evaluating those to uh, see how they perform. Do they get into fewer crashes? That's going to be part of our uh, test program, especially now that we have a expanded test facility. Our insurance uh, supporters have invested $30 million in, in building a new uh, uh, test track that's covered where we can do this kind of testing year-round. Okay. Let me ask you this. Have you encountered any modern-day technology, let's just say, that you guys don't think is a good idea for the consumer or to the benefit of the car in, an, in the event of an accident? Well, I don't know that we have seen anything yet that we don't think is a good idea, but we are seeing things that aren't living up to their potential. Okay. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of this crash avoidance technology available, like uh, lane departure warning, for example, that uh, can warn you of, uh, of a vehicle uh, can uh, rather sorry can warn you if your vehicle is um, uh, going out of the lane of travel. Um, we haven't found that that is reducing crashes. The results are are very mixed on that. Um, we're also seeing some mixed results, although it's starting to become more positive for uh, blind zone detection. Okay. Um, so the jury is still out on some of these systems as to how effective they will actually be in real world applications. How about the cameras? Do you think that that's kind of a deterrent? Do you think it's distracting? I guess that's where I'm going with it. Well, I think the cameras have a lot of potential, particularly the rear view cameras okay. and preventing back over crashes. Um, one of the things that is a potential uh, downside here, which we're seeing in some of the data, is that uh, some of these warning systems, like the lane departure warning systems, may be activating um, so frequently and often giving false warnings that drivers are simply turning the systems off, which would negate the benefits, obviously. Okay. Um, and so that's one of the things we're watching out for is that, you know, if there are too many alerts and chimes and buzzers going off in the occupant compartment, uh, you know, we run the risk of annoying drivers and they shut these uh, potentially beneficial systems off. Now I know um, Audi, for example, there's uh, they have a little vibrate, you get a little vibration in the steering wheel or something like that. I know theirs does. So that's, but I didn't know you could turn those off. Yeah, and um, in most cases you can shut them off. Um, and uh, I recently drove an Audi Q7 that had a, a lane departure system um, that could actually nudge the vehicle back into its its lane of travel, not not only warning but actually drive the vehicle back into the lane. So there's a lot of improvements in crash avoidance technology coming, so we'll be monitoring those to see how well they work as they are enhanced by the uh, automakers and their suppliers. Interesting. Now, a friend of mine, and we only got about a minute left, but a friend of mine's got a uh, 2015 Honda, and it's got a little camera on the passenger side, so when he pulls out, I think that's kind of a good idea. Yeah, there are a lot of these things that could be very, very beneficial, and, um, you know, uh, I I think that um, there's a lot of potential for these systems, and the automakers are going to have to both 
look at um, how effective they are at you know getting the driver's attention at the right time balancing the the uh, notion that you don't want to annoy or distract at the same time excellent hey Russ we're out of time I want to thank you very much for coming on the show tonight I'd love to have you back again sometime maybe you know six seven months down the road we do a little comparison Are you up for that yeah, we have a lot of interesting stuff coming, so happy to do it anytime. Super. Hey, everybody, I want to thank my special guest this evening, Russ Rader from the Insurance Institute and Highway Safety. I guess it's uh, was it, is it called is it a commission? Is that what it is? It is uh, it is an independent uh, safety group, and it's the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, and we're based in um, Rutgersville, Virginia, and in Arlington, Virginia. Super, Russ. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Look forward to uh, meeting you someday, and uh, take care. And thank you again. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning into Nostalgia Getting Cars. Be sure and tune in every Tuesday night for the most legendary and fascinating names, or fascinating and legendary names in motorsports. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreamMotorsports.com. If you've missed any of our past shows, get Nostalgic Winning Cars, a podcast. Don't forget to download Speed Culture this week. Cars and Coffee, DuPont, and Monique Car Care Show. All right. In the meantime, everybody, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. I don't mean to be telling tales out of school, but there's a fella in there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. It broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDTF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen. You dumb cracker. Bring on new hours.